Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Welcome back. You are here once again on the Epic Narrative Podcast, and we are rolling through the book of Genesis this year. This year, we are well into the uh, the entire story, and I hope that uh, you continue to enjoy it. These these stories, some of them are so familiar that I don't I don't spend a ton of time breaking it down into all the um, nuances because so many people know them. Books have been written about them. Uh, entire entire religious organizations have been built around these characters, right? Of Isaac, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I, I, I know I could head down those roads, and I know that many people have, and that's why I don't. I try to keep it on the narrative, and I try to keep that one or two main themes of what, I, what I'm passionate about, right? The goodness of God all throughout time and our identity going back to the beginning and not uh, going back to the beginning, in essence, of chapter one, where we were created, not chapter three, where the, quote, the fall of man, and we're all just sinners. So we are going to continue on the life of Jacob. Now, Jacob, this is this is a passage that, man, chapter 32 of the book of Genesis, this goes, this goes right to, like, everybody remembers this one. Because in the, the end of the chapter, the last part of the chapter, you know, Jacob wrestles with God, or at least something along that line. <laughs> and we'll take a look at a couple options that he might have had. But in order to prepare for going home, in order to prepare for meeting Esau, he he this this was not an easy thing. You remember the end of the last episode? He he says goodbye to Laban. They they build a little mound of rocks, they you know have a a, a meal together to indicate that this is peaceful, and then they separate. And they're like, don't ever cross this line to do me harm. I won't ever cross this line to do you harm. And it wasn't like these rocks were, um, you know, sacred uh, in that in the sense that, that no one would ever touch them. But I would imagine as you walked along, if you saw a pile of rocks that look like an altar or, you know, or were stacked up, you, you probably see these when you hike. You know, people will... We'll make a little tower of four or five rocks and just kind of stack them up, right? It's an indicator. It it means something to them. It means whether it's you know just this moment that they had with the balance of nature, or or something that was said or done in that area, or seen, or accomplished. Like there's just ways that you will kind of mark your life, even in in real life, like on a hike. And you don't really care if it's still there when you come back. Whenever you come back, if, if you ever come back, you just know you have that memory. We we did this, or I did this, and there it is. People or go to Everest, right? They, they say the place is like littered with flags. Everybody brings their flag, their their country flag, or or their name of their family or something. They stick it, you know, in the top of the mountain. I don't blame them. I would too. I would too. I don't know if I ever really thought I had a desire to climb Everest. I, I don't I don't think so. I it, you know part of it is honestly I like warm weather. And I look at <laughs> I look at their faces and I think what, what <laughs> why would you volunteer for that? I do I do I tell you what I do I do I do I do say it a few more times. Uh, the Sherpas, the guys who guide them, those people 
are to me like way more impressive than people who climb Mount Everest. Those guides that go up and down that freaking mountain multiple times a year to help out, you know, a bunch of rich tours who are paying legit money. I mean, it's I'm glad I'm glad they're not just doing it for free. But these Sherpas are going up and down that mountain all the time. They're 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 freaky to me. They're they're they are a level of physical condition and mental uh, condition that is uh, uh, freaky to me. All right, sorry. <laughs> what are we talking about? <coughs> Jacob. Jacob is is saying goodbye. Say goodbye to Laban. Had a little pile of rocks. Now, he's heading back to home, and he knows he has to confront uh, and and prepare to meet Esau. And I'm sure he's running in his head. He's like got all kinds of scenarios. And the and that's because I run him through my my brain, right? And in my the way I prepare for things, I run through scenarios, thousands and thousands of scenarios in my head. I call it. My sanctified imagination. I just see, I see every conversation. I have every conversation. I think, I try to think through every possible, you know, question that could be asked. I, I try to, you know, gauge my own internal uh, apparatus to see if I'm motivated, you know, what, what's my motivation for this uh, interaction? Uh, what's my role? What's my job? What's my, what, what have I actually been invited into? Because, you know, sometimes you get invited into things. And you, and you think, well, there's this really big problem I want to fix, but that's not what you're invited into, right? You're invited into something more circumstantial, more surface. And you know that that's not the real problem, but I have to make sure that that's the problem I focus on because I don't want to, I don't want to overstep and offend and, and cause people to feel like they were blindsided. Like I thought we were going to deal with, you know, with this. And then all of a sudden we went over here and that's not something I wanted to deal with. That was a a dark secret. I didn't want. I didn't want Pastor Bob to know about. So I run all that stuff through my head. Now Jacob might have been, a, you know, a verbal processor, and he might have had a, you know, his uh, main servant or one of his sons where he talked through all those scenarios. But he's trying to come up with a a plan. That's I guess what I'm getting to. He's trying to come up with a plan so that when he sees Esau, he's not killed. He'd, he'd prefer not dying. He know. <laughs> He knows the Lord told him it was time to leave because if he didn't leave, Laban was going to kill him. But he also is like, uh, you know, God, I don't know if I'm actually headed into a much, a much better situation. Right? I mean, I'm headed into a place where the last time I left, he said when dad died, he was going to kill me. Well, that hasn't happened. So I'm, you know, heading back into a tough situation. He also, if you remember, became very independent under Laban. He didn't. He didn't uh, tap into the family money. He didn't tap into the family resources. He just ultimately had to make his own way, which was, you know, Laban made incredibly difficult. But God, His goodness was always with him, and His goodness always goodness over overrides the bad stuff. In the end, it really does. And in the end, that's exactly what happened. Goodness was ahead. So Jacob decides. All right. First thing I need is I need a good place to kind of. When I'm close, I need a place to to kind of set up camp and then then reach out to Esau. So when he's traveling, he sees some angels. The, the angels of God met him. Now, some people believe that the angels that met him were the 
were the, you know, the angels that he saw on the ladder when he left this same region. That this was God saying, you're, you're back, like you're back where you belong. This is your home. And if you remember when, when uh, he was, well, when his mom was pregnant, I almost, yeah, really messed that up. When his mom was pregnant with, with him and Esau, remember they, it was told that there were two nations within her. Now nations, according to writings about angels, nations are, are given angels to oversee them. And some believe that, this, that the angels that he met, one of them would have been the angel that was the angel of the nation of that Jacob was going to represent. And now that he's back on the land that the nation was going to occupy, that the, that angel uh, greets him. Either way, I don't think that this is the first time he's seen angels. I obvi- Well, obviously it's not because he had the ladder on the way to Laban's house 20 years ago. But I I think he recognized angels. He saw them. He He was looking for them. And when they met him, he was like, all right, this is the camp of God. So he gives it a name. I think it's kind of cute. I, I mean, I know I know the names have meanings, right? This is identity. But I, I always think it's cute when somebody goes camping and they start naming things right away. They show up and like, this is, you know, this is the, the tent area. We're going to name this whatever. And they just, they kind of draw from, the, the surroundings and name it things. The names here are names that mean something to them because of what is going on at the time. And so Jacob names the camp and Jacob sends messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau. And that word messengers is the word for angels, just for what it's worth. It's the same word. So keep that in mind because of what happens later on tonight. Or that night, whatever I know, whenever you're listening to this, but I mean in the chapter, later on in the chapter, that's what I mean. So Jacob sends messengers ahead of him to meet Esau in the land of Seir and the country of Edom, which is where he lived. And he said, this is what you are to say to Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have all kinds of stuff. And um, I just want to find favor in your eyes. This is peaceful. I'm not coming to attack. I, you know, he's he's communicating. He's trying to communicate, which is great. And when the messengers returned, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and he's bringing 400 men's, men with him. So just to kind of recap, right? Jacob's um, setting up camp. and And he sets up camp where angels have met him. And if nothing else, this is an encouragement from God, right? He's encouraged. God's like, listen, I'm with you. I was with you when you left on the on the ladder. Just kept you, you know, just to remind you that angels are coming to me all the time with with ways to interact with you. So, you know, then he sends messengers, and he wants Esau to know a few things. One, he wants him to know that he's coming back to the to the land. He wants him to know that he doesn't need the family wealth. He's not showing up poor and destitute. When he left, all he had was, you know, was his walking stick, basically. And he's like, listen, I'm coming back with enough to sustain me and my family. There's no need for you to, to think I'm going to show up 
and and have a family council and want some of your riches and want you know I, I don't I don't want to work with you I don't want to be in your in your face I don't want to be on your property I don't want to be taking any of your um, pasture space like everything he's he's communicating all of that and he goes I want to be favorable in other words I want a peaceful connection between us so all of that gets communicated to Esau whether it was through men or through angels. It all gets clearly communicated. And Esau's response is, I'm going to, let's let's go meet my brother. And, and he takes 400 men with him. Now, Jacob interprets this as aggression, which I totally understand. I really do. Somebody's coming to meet me that I haven't seen in 20 years, and they're literally bringing an army. I would be, I would be, uh, well, I would currently be very curious about that. But if they were somebody who promised to kill me the last time we met, I would, I would uh, probably draw this conclusion as well. There's, you know, Jacob. Jacob looks at his at his people, and he knows there's no way to defend myself, and there's no way I'm outrunning him. Maybe he looks at it and says. There's no way I'm leaving because I know God's called me here. The angels met me here. They told me, you know, to in essence to stay here. I'm not going anywhere. This is this is uh, this is one of those uh, <laughs> one of those come to Jesus moments. I know Jesus doesn't come to the Old Testament, but we all know that Jesus is part of the Old Testament. But we just you know we don't mention him very often. This is one of those. How, what's my perception of what's going on? And man, it, it indicates a lot because Esau could have showed, but his motive could have been this. He wants to prove to Jacob, I've done really well with the, with the family money. I've done, I listened, Abraham, remember, had a, had a standing army of about 350 people. You remember that? or at least around 300, he might have you know, gathered a few more. There were a few other uh, clans that helped him out when he went to rescue his, his nephew, um, 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 not Laban. Come on. His nephew went to Sodom. Lot. Holy cow. Why did that take so long to come out? So remember, he, he had that. So having a standing, standing army of security around the family compound was not unusual. So when he takes the army of, of the stand, you know, the standing army with him, it's not, he could have been thinking, I want him to know that I've I've done okay. Like he left. And in essence, every, all the all the stuff that he fought for fell to me. I had to I had to take care of all this. I want him to know I've I've taken good care of it. He could have he could have bring bringing all this as a as absolutely he could have been coming as an ego boost. It might have been both. He might have been trying to show Jacob, listen, I've done well with the family, not, you know, no thanks to you. Look at how good I've been doing. You stole the birthright, well, not the birthright, but I know he thinks he does. You stole, <laughs> you stole my birthright and you stole the, the, the blessing from dad, but look what I've done. You think you're so smart? You wanted the birthright? You wanted the, the blessing because of how awesome you think you are? Well, look what I did. I've expanded everything. I've maintained an army of 400 men. I've got plenty of wealth. I didn't screw it all up. 
I didn't go out hunting every day and pretend that, that there wasn't responsibilities back at the compound. So there could have been some sort of um, ego boost power play going on here. And to be fair, it could have been that he just wanted to kill everyone. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe he wanted that option. I don't know. But, but for me, when I kind of break it down, I see that there's more than one way to look at this. But Jacob looks at it in one way. That Esau is coming. Esau is coming and he's going to kill me. It says in fear, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. And he thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Now, I, I, okay, generally that's not a bad plan, right? But where, where does this decision come from? Great fear and distress. This is not a great place to make decisions from. And I, I know we've, we've talked some about this before. Fear is just is never a good place to make a decision from. Because its its motive, its motive is is really centered in some form of self-preservation. And in that in that desire for self-preservation, you're going to end up doing things that that definitely could impact other people negatively. But you're you know you're going to try and be okay. Now Jacob does this, and it's and it's clear, you know, that he's trying to defend his family. I mean, he's an old man, but he doesn't want to die. Uh, family, you know, family, that fear and distress indicates to me that, uh, like, like family hurts go deep. And if you, if you've ever been hurt by a, by a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad, you carry that with you for a long time. If you don't, if you don't deal with it, if you don't work it out, if you don't have those tough conversations, you carry them for a long time. And maybe some of you have been hurt, you know, through the church, through a ministry, Actually, probably a lot of people have. And if you don't do the work, you will carry that hurt for a long time. I know people that have led ministries that have been hurt by, you know, leadership, uh, things that were said or things that were voted on or voted out or or the way that, you know, the the congregational meeting went. Like it, things turned ugly and they've never really gotten over it. And they continue to make decisions. Not every decision they make, please, like I'm not trying to say that, but but you can see it in the way the decisions are made. Certain decisions are made. Certain uh, options are laid out. It's like, well, we're, you know, I'm not going to go through that again. I'm not going to do that again. Or, you know, individuals would be like, well, I'm never going to church again. I'm never going to talk to that pastor again. I, that person, I, I'm never going to give to that church again. I'll go because I love the people, but I'm not, I'm not supporting anything that they do. And that's, those are decisions that are made out of fear and distress. Those are not good places to make decisions from. Now, you could say, well, Bob, you should be afraid to fall off a cliff. Yes, I should. You're right. <laughs> but the decision to not fall off the cliff, like if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, right? I, I remember that when I went, it, it still to this day freaks me out that, that there's no like rails along the edge. I understand why there isn't because it's impossible to do that. But it still kind of freaked me out. Like you literally could go to the edge and, you know, hang your hang your feet over if you wanted or lean over or 
And there's people who lose their cameras all the time because they're reaching over the top and taking a photo. It's, it's, a, it's a breathtaking photo unless you lose your phone. And then you are not getting it back. Anyways, enough about the Grand Canyon. I don't go to the edge of the Grand Canyon, not out of fear, but out of wisdom. And to me, there's a difference. And it doesn't mean that, that my understanding of what might happen to me when I fall over that cliff, yes, I'm afraid to fall over that cliff, but the deeper decision-making part is it's wise not to fall over that cliff. It's wise not to go to the edge uh, and put my feet over. It's not that it, it could be dangerous, and I'm sure it's thrilling, and I have no doubt people do it, and I have sons that have done it. God bless them. They're still alive, and I think, well, God bless you. <laughs> like, your, your level and my level of decision-making are two different things, and that's okay. Jacob makes a decision based in fear and distress because he, he hasn't worked through the, the family <coughs> oh, sorry the family hurts that, are, that occurred 20 years ago, probably more than 20 years, right? Because he left 20 years ago because of one event. The family hurts were, they had gone on for a long time. That, that, that was it just by the favoritism of mom and dad alone, there was family hurts that had gone on for a long time. So he splits the family into two. Uh, that's 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 a good that's a good plan, right? Oh no no no! Sorry. The first thing he does, the first thing he does is he tries to appease Esau with with money. He's like, let's let's put some gifts out there. Um, no, wait, I got ahead of myself. You're right, Bob. Sorry, Bob's like, where are you reading? I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Okay, so he splits the family in two. He's like. If he comes after one, the other group can't escape, which I'm sure puts the whole family on edge, right? I mean, if you know that something bad might happen to where you live, you're, you're nervous. Whether it's, uh, you know, bad weather coming in, you know, big, uh, currently, you know, I live in New England, so you know there's a big snowstorm coming, and you kind of hunker down in your house, but you kind of wonder, like, is, are the trees going to fall? Will I be, you know, how how long is it going to take me to get out of, out into civilization again do we have enough food when the if the power goes out like you have these these things not that not that you're afraid but you wonder here you have a decision coming from your father out of fear and distress so he's got there's there's an energy right there's a frequency of fear there's a frequency of distress that is that is permeating the atmosphere of the camp and in that fear and distress he divides the family Wife, you know, probably Rachel and her servant and all of their kids over there, Leah and and her servant and all their kids over there, and he sends he sends servants and he sends you know whatever all the money the divides them up by enough space that Esau would kind of have to choose one camp or the other in order to go after them, and then the other camp you're what what are you like somebody's on lookout. You're on lookout for what? For disaster. You're looking out for marauders, for for you know assassins. You don't know what kind of level of skill Esau has, but Jacob has told them stories about how a fierce hunter Esau is, how accurate he is with a bow, how far he could shoot an arrow. And all of that feeds the fear of Esau showing up, especially at night. 
And then he goes to uh, then he goes to God. He goes, Oh God of my father Abraham, right? <laughs> Just a reminder, Lord, you're the one who said, Go back to my country, go back to my relatives, and you would make me prosper. Now listen, I don't I don't buy this. Uh, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown your servant. I had my only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I I have become two camps. I've become wealthy enough to really have two entire clans of people uh, supported and 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 um, well supported. In other words, there's enough money for everybody. So he's like, oh, so much has happened. God, I'm going to just remind you. Once again, verse 12, I, you said, I will surely make you prosper and make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there. And from what he had, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 20, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 20, 30 female camels and their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys, he put them in cares of his servants, each herd by itself. And he said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. And he instructed one in the lead, when my brother meets you and asks you, who do you belong to, where you're going, who owns all these animals in front of you, say they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to the Lord, His um, sent to my Lord Esau. He is coming behind us. He instructed the second and the third and all the following herds. You do the same thing when Esau meets you. Your servant Jacob is coming behind you. For he thought, if I pacify him with these gifts, I'm sending ahead later. When I see him, perhaps he will receive him, me. Sorry, receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night at the camp. So in, in, the, in fear and distress, he makes up this plan. He divides his family. They're doing great. He goes to God, which honestly is a really good plan. And, in, and he, you know, he's reminding God, this is what you promised me, that I come back to my land and I would prosper and my, you know, my family would expand and this land would belong to us. So clearly, God, you need to pay attention tonight because my brother Esau is coming to kill me. I really think he's coming to kill me. He's coming to kill me. Now, when we remind God of his promises, really, that should bring us comfort. We should become more relaxed. Jacob should have become, Jacob should have become, uh, more confident, but he didn't, right? He he goes, all right, you know what else is a good plan? I'm going to, I'm going to appease him with my wealth. I'm going to let him see that I really don't need the family money. I'm not coming for the family money. I'm not coming to try and take over your position. I'm not coming to move into, in essence, your house. I just want to be left alone. And he staggered the gifts. He staggered them probably by, you know, hundreds of yards. So it would slow Esau down to give time for Esau to think. He's, you know, Esau's like riding along and he sees this flock. And I mean, they're not huge flocks, a couple hundred of, uh, you know, goats, a couple hundred uh, sheep, which they're, it's significant. Trust me. But it's, they're not like huge, but they're big enough for him to see. Now, I don't know if they knew exactly the road that Esau was on, but I'm guessing they had a pretty good idea of where he was coming. Well, they knew where he was coming from because they had already sent messengers there. So I'm sure they're kind of using that same road and they're working their way down that road. And uh, Esau is coming up that road and he's, you know sees the first one. It's like, hey, 
where are you guys going? Oh, where are you from? You know, this is this is from um, your servant Jacob. He sends this gift to his lord Esau, and he's coming behind us. So Esau has got 400 men with him, and they see all of these. It's it's a it's wealth. It's a stream of wealth, male and female goats. In other words, these are things that will continue to generate more and more for you, and they're a gift. And and the hope is, remember, the hope. I will pacify him with these gifts, so when he meets me, everything will be good. Now, these gifts are probably sent out in the afternoon, and Jacob spends the night. That night, he took up his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons, and he crossed the, the, the ford, right, the brook. And he sent the, uh, and when he had sent them across the stream, and he sent over all his possessions, again, this is not a quick process. Now, they are all loaded up already, right? They've been traveling, so it's not like a super long process, but it's not quick either. And he sends them out far enough away. He, he, I'm sure, like you don't just walk out in, into the desert and plop down, but he found good places for them to be. These are his family. These are his children. And then he sets up, I'm sure, guards, servants that would be on, on call all night. If you see, if you hear anything, anything sus, you know, suspicious, then run, run. Because my brother Esau is coming to kill everyone. And he went uh, back across the stream and was alone. And it says a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So a man wrestled with him. The word is um, man. That's that's what the word is. <laughs> it's pretty funny, right? Uh, struggled with God. The word, that word for God, or is it just it has a lot of variety to it. It can mean God, it can mean it can mean angels, it can mean a ruler, it can mean a lesser God, like one of those uh, you know really strong people, or it could mean someone who is God-like, someone from a spiritual realm. Uh, you know that God created, but not someone that you, that is that is actually God, or it could be God. Like there's, I just want you to know there's lots of ways that this could go. Whoever it was, Jacob wrestled with them until daybreak. Now there's a there is this the you know the wrestling is is exhausting. All right, I I wrestle I wrestle with my grandchildren and I get exhausted. I remember wrestling with my children. And thinking, I'm gonna, I, you know, I'm gonna keep doing this wrestle thing on the floor until they get tired. Uh, yeah, it like never happened, but I, I get tired. I get tired, but you know, within ten or fifteen minutes, it's just exhausting. And these guys that wrestle, like legit wrestle, in high school and college and in the Olympics, I watch those. I think they're three minute sets, and I, and they're like sweaty messes at the end. And they're exhausted. There is something really intense about wrestling. And the intensity of this wrestling, I think, varied throughout the night. I, I wouldn't even be surprised if periodically they both sat on the ground and looked at each other. 
But Jacob knew in his heart, I'm not letting this guy go. I'm sure his first thought was, wow, this is Esau. Like Esau found me. <laughs> and I'm sure the first, you know, five minutes of wrestling was just blind panic. I don't know if he had a fire going. I don't know if he had a few torches going. I don't know if he sat in the dark all alone with no tent, no servants, because he was kind of hoping no one would see him. I don't know if this is all by by uh, moonlight. I kind of think, personally, that at some level, the guards that were guarding the family, the people that were watching things, I, you, you would have to hear what's going on here unless there's something supernatural going on here. You would have to know. I, I mean, if you've ever been around people who wrestle, it's not a quiet thing. There is there is grunts, there is moaning, there are things that get pushed away. I'm sure that there would be rocks that would be disturbed, uh, you know, splashes along the brook. There's there's things that are getting pushed over, people are getting pushed over. Uh, you know, air is being released from your lungs as something, you know, someone falls on top of you. What we do know is that whoever Jacob's wrestling with doesn't want to kill him. And I'm sure Jacob eventually kind of figures that out, maybe after an hour. I don't even know how you wrestle for an hour, but let's just say an hour later. He's, he's realizing, I'm not wrestling Esau. This is not Esau trying to kill me. So who am I wrestling? And in his mind, he realizes, I'm wrestling somebody who's from God. Maybe I'm wrestling God himself. Now, I kind of think, uh, you know, I, I read this. I really wish I'd written down the reference. I'm sorry. But the, going back to what I mentioned earlier, that when it was prophesied that in Rachel she had in her two nations, and the two nations would have been assigned each their own angel. I wonder if this is not the angel of Esau and his nation that went ahead to wrestle with the nation of Jacob. I don't know, but it could have been. The language supports it. The language supports it. So, um, you know, all of the, all of this kind of supernatural wrestling uh, he was, was for Jacob. He's like, I'm not going to let go of this because I want peace. I do not want to battle for the rest of my life. I don't want to wrestle for the rest of my life. I am not letting you go. So in verse uh, uh, 25, right, it says that when the man saw, and again, that word man could mean God, could mean angel, could mean ruler, could mean God-like. When the man said, let me go for it is daybreak, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man said, what is your name, Jacob? Then the man said, you would no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And Jacob called the place uh, Peniel, um, which, uh, what does that mean? It probably means uh, struggle. Oh, uh, no, 30. It means uh, face of God. That's what it means. And, uh, you know, he named, he named, uh, I, I didn't tell you this, but the name of the camp that he sent his kids to was two camps. So really not, not too creative, but, it, but he's like face of God. 
I because I saw the face of God and yet I was spared. So he believes it's God. He believes it's God. That part's clear. And sometimes our faith draws to us the things that we desire. So it might not, it might, I just, like I said, the language doesn't make it super clear. But Jacob's faith, he believes that this is God. Now he wanted to be rewarded, you know, for the struggle. I will not let you go unless you bless me. I have worked hard at this and I am not going to let go. Now he's he's in pain, right? It says in in verse uh, where is it? Well, the verse right before that, verse twenty-five, it says he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so his hip wrenched, and as he wrestled with the man. So again, is this a supernatural touch, or did the guy actually have a a legitimate wrestling move that pops the man's socket out of out of the hip, which is no easy task. But you know, Jacob is in his late 80s, so maybe it's easier than before. I don't know. I, I, At some level, I want you to hear this story and be like, wow, there's a lot here that I was just told was true, and maybe there's a few other options, which I know we do often on the epic narrative. We give you some things to say, all right, maybe I should be a little more curious about this. Maybe I should check this out. Maybe I think Bob's crazy, and I need to do a little bit of research. And I love it when people do their own research because I think there's so much in here. So he says, I do, I want a blessing. And he gets one. He gets a new identity. He gets a new purpose. He's like, I'm going to give you a name. I'm not going to call you Jacob anymore. I'm going to name you Israel, which means he struggles with God. And he's like, it's because you struggled with, with God and with man and you have overcome. And again, this doesn't necessarily mean that the that the being that he's wrestling is God. It just means that this being understands Jacob's uh, life. He's been aware of what Jacob's been doing. And for the whole night, Jacob is, is in essence doing a physical representation of what his life has been like. He has struggled with man and he's struggled with God. He's, he's had probably many intense conversations with God. And in that intensity, he has, you know, stood back and been like, I, you know, I, I need to remind you, God, once again, of what you promised me. But in the injury, right, Jacob believes that comes from God. He believes God gave him that injury. And so Jacob gets to keep the injury. It says that he walked with a limp. And, and from this day on, right, therefore, last verse, from this day to this day, Israelites don't eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So they have this religious connection to the, to the hip of, of Jacob because Jacob believed that this came from God. I don't think God injures people to be let go. I think if this is God, he gets out of it. I don't think God want, needs to physically cause pain to his children in order to remind them that, hey, don't, don't wrestle with me. Don't mess with me. Or to remind them, hey, if I want to, I can crush you. I, I don't think that's the attitude of God. Why? Because of the beginning and because of Jesus. 
I think that when Jacob gets gets his hip out of socket, he he knows I can't I can't keep wrestling, but he won't let go. And he gets a new name. He's like, I need I need uh, I need peace. I need to know that my life is going to be different here. That it's not going to be the same thing. I need to know that I'm going to go beyond this place that Esau is not going to kill me. So he gets a new name. He gets a new purpose, a new destiny. And the and and in that, when the sun comes up, he he operates out of that new destiny. He understands I'm I am not the man I, I was when I left here 20 years ago. My life has changed significantly. Struggle causes circumstances cause me to have perspectives and understandings of, of who I am and what God is and who God is that that have changed me. And that's the story that I see here in, in chapter 32. We see a man who transitions from, from, a, from his father-in-law Laban from a place of control and manipulation to a man who puts together a plan out of fear and desperation as he's preparing to meet Esau, to a man who wrestles with his identity all night long and in the end says, I, I don't want to operate like this anymore. I don't want to be controlled and manipulated. I don't want to you know, serve other people's uh, visions. I want something new. I want to step out. I want a new name. And even though it, whether or not he believed, you know, this was God or not, he believed that this this angel, this being, could give him a, a, a new a new purpose and destiny. He was connected to God, if nothing else. And he got he got it. He got a new name. He got new purpose, more destiny, and new destiny, and a, and a limp. He got a limp. <laughs> and we'll talk more. Right? We haven't even met Esau yet. This is just preparations. The brothers on the way, 400 men, dust, cloud of dust in the horizon. What's going to happen? We'll find out next week on The Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right. So some thoughts on this episode. I, I hope I didn't throw anybody off by the by the options that are available as to who and what Jacob might have been wrestling with. I really just wanted to create an opportunity for you just to kind of look into it yourself. Because for me, the idea of it being a spiritual being who isn't necessarily God, but understands the wrestling match that Jacob is having and and is from a realm that Jacob definitely recognizes. This isn't this isn't everyday stuff. This is not my brother. This is something deeper, spiritual, more powerful. And I, I once again, you know, I think about people who have struggled their whole lives. If they had an opportunity and they believed that if they wrestled with whatever it is and they were able to correct what was going on, they would wrestle until the death because they don't want to keep living the way that they were living. And that's exactly exactly what Jacob was doing. He had the opportunity. He had the opportunity to change his, his future, to change the trajectory of his life. And he took that opportunity and he changed the, the, his identity. Now in doing so, as I said, he, he, you know, he, he got a hip injury. 
I don't think God does that sort of thing. But I do think sometimes we bring that kind of stuff on ourselves because that's what we expect. We reap what we sow. We get what we have faith for. And I think in a, in, in, in a lot of people give God credit for doing bad things to them because they really, really expected bad things to happen to them. That's how powerful we are. And so uh, whether or not, you know, you think God does bad things, I don't know. This is what, you know, and, and again, this is part of our journey altogether. I don't think God does it. So why did, why did Jacob get it and why did he think it was God? Why did he give God credit for it? I believe because that's what he had credit, that's what he, he had faith in. He had faith that God was going to do something negative to him and, and quote, God did. And he walked with a limp. Interestingly, um, I think it'll come out in a future episode, <laughs> but the limp is gone later on. So I just, I just find that fascinating uh, because I wonder if he kind of had a moment where he was like, wait a minute. Why, why am I doing this? Why am I walking with a limp? But that's another, another thought for another episode. Uh, I do hope you enjoyed this one. I know that there was a lot of uh, layers put on it. But again, that's the way the narrative is, right? The narrative, narrative is woven in with multiple relational connections and multiple cultural influences. And then we have to figure out what in the world was going on and how it applies to our life. So I hope you have yourself a fabulous day. Uh, in all of that, figuring all of that out, just a little update. If you're following me along uh, on our journey, we have uh, kind of settled in a little part of um, Texas, just outside of Fort Worth. We just kind of settled there for the winter. We're not really traveling in the RV right now. We didn't want to shovel anything. <laughs> and and uh, we kind of needed to uh, slow the slow the outgo of expenses. So we've, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of nice. I picked up a little part-time job. I'll tell you about that. Uh, okay. No, I'll tell you now. Yeah. Currently I am, I am slinging boxes and bottles. I'm a, I'm a, a box, a box boy, stock boy at, a, at the local liquor store where we're staying. It's, it's just this little town outside of, like I said, Fort Worth and, uh, it's actually really kind of fun. Uh, not an experience as a preacher I ever thought I'd get that I would be working in a liquor store. But, um, you know, <laughs> that's where I am. And I'm having a great time. I mean, that part doesn't really surprise me. I tend to have a great time regardless because I enjoy the moments that we're in and I enjoy the people that I'm with. And uh, there are some really good people there. And, uh, <laughs> and it's... It's hard work, but it's not, uh, it's not as, it's not as, as taxing on me as like painting used to be. And, uh, I do think about painting sometimes, but man, I would, uh, I'd only last about three days. I don't mind helping people out with painting cause I'm, I'm pretty good at it, but, uh, well, I don't know what, I, what happened. I have to figure that out. Oh, there it is, man. Like I looked down at my screen and half of it was gone. Literally half of it was gone. The wrong half was gone. Like it was split down the, split down uh, vertically rather than horizontally. Anyways, we'll see. Uh, we'll see where we end up. Uh, again, we have no idea where that will be long term. But currently, 
This is what we're doing, and this is where we're doing it. And now you know. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll see you again next week on The Epic Narrative. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.